In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, isn't it frustrating? When you know considerably more than someone else, but he or she insists on telling you that you're doing it wrong. Don't you love that? And I know we're all, I know sometimes we think we know more than we do. So let me give you an example that I think uh, you might be able to relate to uh, when it comes to this kind of thing. So uh, maybe <laughs> you're driving in morning traffic and your seven-year-old tells you, uh, go, Dad. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Especially when following the advice of your seven-year-old would result um, in, at best, uh, a moving violation uh, and, at worst, a, a collision, right? Now, the only reason I bring that up is to tell you this. How often do you tell God how to do his job? Probably, if you're like me, it's a daily occurrence, right? What are you doing? Uh, get it together. Uh, this is all wrong. And we all know biblical examples, you know, whether it be the thief on the cross, whether it be Peter, whether, it, you know, there's a lot of examples. Um, and today's Old Testament reading is an example of a response to God's people telling God, hey, you're doing it wrong, right? From Isaiah 49. It's a response to God's people telling God, you're doing it all wrong. You don't really care. Haven't you noticed we're all suffering? What are you going to do about it? Because it doesn't seem like you're doing anything to us. What was going on at the time? Well, what was going on was God's people had been taken into captivity into Babylon. The thing is, this wasn't an accident. God had told his people repeatedly, uh, repent. I'm raising up a nation. Repent. And they just didn't listen. The people remained alarmingly, alarmingly comfortable in their sin, right? So God stirred up Babylon against his people, just like he warned. You see, the problem wasn't Babylon. The problem was the heart of God's people. You're doing it wrong. Your priorities are wrong. Your activity is wrong. Uh, what I think you should be doing, that's what the program should be, right? The thing is, yes, he would return his people. He promised that as well. Sending Israel back to Jerusalem was not a big deal for Yahweh because he was the one who was in control the whole time. Sending Israel back to Jerusalem, no big deal. But that's not all. He would send someone, not just to restore his people Israel in their homeland, but he would send someone who would restore, well, everyone. And he would restore their 
hearts. And now the Lord says, and who is he talking about, right? The prophet Isaiah? No, we have to look at the whole context of Isaiah 49, this text. The Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Right? It's too easy. It's too light. No big deal. So what's Yahweh going to do? I will make you as a light for the goyim, the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Right? It's not just enough to bring you guys back to Jerusalem. I'm going to save the world. My servant is going to save the world. I'm going to appoint someone to save the world. But how would this servant, this gatherer, do this? Save the entire world? Well, our text tells us that as well. And the unfortunate thing is, is this servant would be deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, his own people. Right? So thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. He would be hated and rejected and he would suffer. In today's gospel text, God had revealed to John the Baptist that Jesus was the Son of God. But God had also revealed to John that this same Jesus is also the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God, but he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the Greek is pretty interesting because takes away sounds dismissive. It's not. Like, oh, it just disappears. <laughs> Poof. Takes away might be better understood like this. Getting rid of sins by bearing those sins. Getting rid of those sins by bearing. It's not poof. It's those sins all go somewhere. And they go on the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who bears those sins by suffering for them, dying for them, right? This is the second of four what we call suffering servant songs found in Isaiah. Yahweh's ways are strange to us. Yahweh would send someone to save all people, but what Yahweh wouldn't do, what Yahweh refused to do, is to save his servant. At least initially. God shows us the severity of our sin and the depths of his love, not by punishing sinners, but by taking on flesh. Right? And the servant talks about that. Right? 
The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name, right? The parents name him Yeshua because he will save people from their sins. Yahweh takes on flesh and then takes all the sin of the world upon himself as our substitute. Yahweh's ways are so strange, right? He is not a dictator. He's an empowerer, but he's a dictator. His tactic is not to bend people forcibly to his will. His tactic is to send a servant who stands ready and willing and able to do his will perfectly. And Yahweh identifies his faithful servant in today's text from Isaiah. It's Israel, but Israel as an individual, as one person. And that person rightly is Jesus. Last week we heard about Jesus being baptized. And it's not a light thing that Jesus is baptized. And you might remember from last week that the the Baptists can hardly believe it. I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? It's surprising, right? John's kind of saying, this is unexpected. Uh, I didn't see this coming. Uh, this should maybe go a different way. <laughs> but of course Jesus comes to be baptized. He comes to take the mantle of sin upon himself. He comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Not poof. but by taking it upon himself, by bearing it. It's really interesting because such self-sacrificial love and blessed devotion isn't well-received. Because on some level, um, I think we know we don't deserve it. And on some level, we still want to believe that the problem is God, not us. Just like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, we don't like God's accusations. They don't make us feel good. Uh, And so we say, you know what? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing great. But there is only one solution to the sin problem, your sin problem, my sin problem. And that is not your solution of, yeah, I'm doing fine. No thanks. It's Yahweh's solution. So the prophet would have us take notice. Who's talking in today's text? We have to know that. It's the servant himself. Listen. Listen. Listen to me, O coastlands, right? Every from shore to shore. And give attention, you peoples from afar, everywhere. Again, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you, singular, are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Yahweh's ways are so strange. He promises this deliverer. He promises this king. He promises this everlasting almighty ruler. And his weapons 
are his word? The sharp sword and the polished arrow are not literal sword or a little arrow. They are the suffering servant's word. Seems too light a thing. And it really seems too light a thing when the suffering servant talks about that word and says that this word promises and points to a death sentence for himself. One not only deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, but also by God the Father. Yahweh's ways are strange to us. It should not be so. Who can look on a suffering Savior on a cross and think of it as anything of significance? The servant himself in Isaiah laments how things look, right? But I've said I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Right? Jesus laments a lot. I've come to love you. I've come to gather you. I've come to save you. But you were not willing. Right? I mean, just consider Luke 23. Let's just consider Luke 23 for a moment, just to give you a snapshot, one episode, right? And it's probably the most, one of the most significant. The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at Jesus, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. Right? They're going to tell God how he should do it. If you're really the Christ of God, his chosen one, this is what would happen. He saved others, let him save himself. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, guess what the next words are? Save yourself. One of the criminals criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Guess what the next words are? Save yourself. Oh, and us, by the way. Well, Jesus was doing part of that. He was saving you. But the father would not spare his only son, but to deliver him up for us all, for you, for me. And as Jesus fulfills God's promise, as Jesus saves the world, what's the reaction? People gloat. They jeer, they reject our Lord's claim, yet there he is, not to save himself, but to save them, to save you, to save me. And when you hear that, what are you thinking? Maybe this sharpened sword and polished arrow really does accomplish God's purpose after all. Both John and Jesus were right. On the cross, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not poof, but by bearing it, by being the suffering servant, our substitute in our place. The story doesn't end there, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thanks be to God, right? The servant doesn't just die. 
The servant also promises, yet surely my right is with the Lord. Right? This is how he ends the complaint. Yeah, it's going to be rough, but uh, hey, my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Right? It's positive. Paul wrote of the fulfillment of this in his letter to the church in Philippi. Let me read you that. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be uh, taken, right, grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what does that mean? Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. The suffering servant promised this would happen. Yahweh promised that this would happen all the way back in Isaiah 49. Dear Christians, we're like seven-year-old backseat drivers, okay? It's just the way it is. Our human expectations, our views on God doing his job constantly steer us off course and can even steer us against God. Our human expectations tell us, uh, let's put God on trial with the accusation, uh, you're just not doing it right. Shape up. The word of the servant, the sharpened sword and polished arrow, the word made flesh, wants you to know God was put on trial. The holy God-man, Jesus Christ, was made a sin for you. The Lamb of God took away your sin and the sin of the world. He got rid of that sin, not by poof, but by bearing it, burying it, and then breaking its power by rising in victory. By his powerful word, God throws down the pride of our human hearts so even the mighty will see things aright. It isn't God who has failed to do his job. It's you and it's me. But Yahweh's ways are strange. Jesus sent his servant to serve perfectly and to suffer for your shortcomings. Yahweh's ways are so strange. He is a servant, so you can be a Lord. How great a mystery. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and yes, Isaiah 49 tells us that when the servant does come in his full glory, all will kneel, all will bow, all will pay homage. Not because they're forced to, because they will see him for what he truly is. The suffering servant who is now glorified and ruling and reigning over all things. And God himself speaks to the servant at the end of today's Old Testament text. This is what he's saying to the servant. Kings shall see and arise. 
princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, right? Fall down. Because the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. John is right. Isaiah is right. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And may the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.